question for you guys today before we start in the text, and that is, has there ever been a moment in your life where mom or dad may have left you behind? Maybe they forgot you somewhere, maybe at grocery store, in my case it was at Disney World, uh, but maybe there was a moment in your life that you can think of that you were forgotten, or perhaps as a parent where you have, may have forgotten one of your children. Well, this, this past couple of weeks, I was really, really proud of my son, and I think that I'm a good dad and that I always have a watchful eye over my son, but what my son and my wife were doing is they went by to the local park called Casey Jones Park in Elizabeth. And at this park, they clear a lot of the dead wood there, and they create these piles that the residents in the area can pick up for firewood. And knowing that we were going to have a few cold days ahead of us, my, uh, my, my wife and the kids decided to go to the park and collect firewood together. So when I got home, I saw little Theodore riding in with his tractor to help and collect the, uh, the firewood. And it was the cutest sight ever. He drove that little tractor all the way to our car, and we started to pile the wood inside. And of course, because you guys have brainwashed my son, it is a John Deere tractor. And because uh, I've, I've learned through this congregation that there isn't a, a tractor that's any better. And if Stan was here in the room, I'm sure he would be saying, preach, pastor. So Theodore loaded up his little tractor with wood and we trailed off to the back of our home to load up the firewood. And uh, he was impressing me so much because he would be throwing the little logs on there and if one fell off his tractor, he would stop the tractor and pick it up and put it back on. And I was just as proud as can be. But in my pride over my son, who in my eyes had just become a man in this moment, I decided to go and work on something else until I hear a call coming from the house, where's Theodore? And in my mind, I'm thinking, well, this kid has already grown up. And I realized, wait, no, he's only three. I don't know where Theodore is. I thought he went upstairs with you. No, he's three years old, Kevin. He doesn't know how to come in the house yet. Well, I don't know where he is. And then until we start running around the house and we're hearing a knock on the outside the door. Mommy, mommy, let me in. Mommy, let me in. And I realize I forgot my son. So hopefully there's not going to be any lasting trauma there. But there's moments where we don't realize and we may forget somebody that is dear to us. And maybe you have a story of when you were forgotten, whether it be by your parents or somebody else. For any kids or younger people in the room, please know that it's not always our intent to lose you. It just happens. So we're going to be looking at 1 Samuel 16, and I really like this passage of text because I think this story offers a lot in there that would be easy 
easy to miss, but we're going to take our time with this text today because I think it's going to speak to many of us today. So just as a way of background, what happened two weeks ago when I was preaching was that Saul was told his kingdom would not last, that God was going to replace him. However, what's going on in the kingdom of Israel is Saul is still continuing to serve as king as if nothing had happened. And Samuel is, of course, praying for the kingdom and praying for Saul specifically. So it kicks off on verse 1 with those thoughts in mind. It says this, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me, the one I indicate. So Samuel from this, this text is in a state of mourning. And I really appreciate the fact that he's in this state of mourning. Not because I want Samuel, the prophet, to be sad. But who was it that delivered this message to King Saul about his kingdom not lasting? Samuel did. So it's nice to know and it's nice to see in scripture that even though Samuel delivered this harsh message to King Saul, that he still had compassion over the person of Saul and still had compassion over the nation of Israel. And he was mourning his failure. And I want to touch on that because in life, I think it's so easy for us to look at other people who we know might be coming up short today where it's almost like we want people to fail. It's almost like we get joy out of their failure. And maybe we don't just do that with our political preferences, but we could do that in other ways, right? We can do that in ways with, with people in our workplace or family members who it's almost like we feel good that that happens. And I think that's wrong. So I appreciate the fact that Samuel is taking the time to mourn a tragedy, to mourn a failure within King Saul's life. But I have a question for you guys, and that is, what does God tell Samuel to do? He tells him specifically to stop what? To stop mourning, because the time has come for what to happen, for God to appoint a new king. Now, this startles Samuel as the prophet because he realizes that King Saul is not going to forgive Samuel for going off and anointing another king, that he won't be pleased by this, but in fact, that he most likely will be killed or will be at the very least in 
imprisoned if something like this happens. So God tells Samuel to take a heifer with him in order to sacrifice. Now this heifer is going to be what? It's going to be like a cover story for Samuel as he goes to Bethlehem and finds this new king. So the big question I have for you right now, is God causing Samuel to lie? Is he desiring that Samuel lies? Now, I think the quick answer here, the obvious answer is, is of course not. You see, God is good. He is righteous, and he will never cause us to sin. But the beauty of the Lord is that he still works within a fallen world. You see, I think we saw a little bit of that with, uh, with, with last week's chapter in chapter 15, that God is still working in a fallen world, and he offers a way for Samuel to still remain honest, but yet to still meet a practical need. But I want to push this a little further because I think it's very telling for our lives. You see, I think our perspective that we normally have with God is that if God is in something, then all the dominoes will be laid out perfectly. You simply tap it and they all start to fall in the ways that they should go. But in reality, oftentimes, God may call us to a situation where we still feel very much like there's tensions in play. You know, I, 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 I'm kind of in the family, it always comes as a surprise because I, I'm a pastor, but at the same time, too, I usually don't like very many Christian movies. And I'm sorry if you guys like Christian movies, Oh, you're not hearing me? Oh. It's on. It's been on. I'm sorry if you guys don't like Christian movies because, well, that's going to be awkward on the podcast. Um, I'm sorry if you guys don't like Christian movies, but I just always find them so cheesy and corny. And oftentimes they make life look way different than what at least the life that I experienced. And I'm not saying every single Christian movie or Christian TV show is bad. I'm a big fan of The Chosen because I feel like they show more reality than most before them. But what I think is important to understand in this situation is that really if God wanted Samuel to go and anoint this king, this new king, that ultimately he was going to protect and guide him in the ways that he should go. See, I believe that if for any reason King Saul met Samuel on this journey and perhaps he didn't even have a cow with him or a good excuse that God could still work and interact to protect Samuel, but it's almost like an act of grace that God works with Samuel in his own weakness to provide a way for Samuel to continue to move forward. And there's another point that I want to make here that I think is really interesting, and that's this. Does God tell Samuel which son is going to be king? No. What does he say? He says that there will be a king there, 
that it's going to be one of Jesse's sons, and then he leaves it just at that. You see, if God is all-knowing, if God is all-powerful, if God is able to set things into motion, in reality, God knows exactly who is going to be the next king. But yet, He withholds this information from Samuel, and I think this is so true of even what we experience today in this life, that sometimes the Lord calls us to something, and He might not reveal to us every single little detail, but we still need to trust and move forward towards the things that He is calling us to, and trust and move forward knowing that the Lord will provide, that the Lord will guide us, and that the Lord will ultimately make a way. Church, If God is calling you to something, then you need to trust that He will see you through it. There's been times in my own ministry that I have questioned whether I have it, I have what it takes to do the job. And one of my mentors would oftentimes remind me of that phrase, that if the Lord has called you to something, then He will see you through it. And how he sees me through it may look a little different than what I expected or what I thought. But ultimately, I can always trust that God will never leave me or fail me, but that he will see me through it. And ultimately, it really reflects back to what we were learning last week about how the Lord desires obedience You know, oftentimes a song that comes to my mind, especially when I'm struggling, is one that I'm sure you guys know. Trust and obey, trust and obey, for there's no better way than to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. Hopefully I got that right. I'm not very good at memorizing songs, but you've heard the tune before. And I'm grateful that Samuel shows us an example of what it means to trust and to obey, that even in his concerns, he still does what? He goes forward, even in the risk of his own personal harm, to do what God is calling him to do. So in verse 4, it picks up, Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Now, this is pretty interesting just right here, right? Because it shows how probably lonely the life of Samuel was, that he enters into a town and everyone freaks out and says, are you here to come in peace? Because they know that Samuel pretty much had a reputation for sometimes giving a strong word or even holding a sword. In verse 5, it says, yes, in peace I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. And I want you to pay close attention to what comes next. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. Read this next portion with me. People look at the outward appearance, 
but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks where? At the heart. So what is being communicated in here in Scripture is so important, church. In fact, I was going to make this the Scripture reading this week, but I decided to use Psalm 139 because I think it reflects really well what David felt like in this moment. But it shows us so clearly that the Lord does not look at people the way that we look at people, but that the Lord looks at the heart. But what's so interesting here is that even though Samuel was a good and godly man, he was still fooled by this person named Eliab, one of Jesse's sons. Because he saw him, and in him he saw a person that looked the part. Perhaps he was tall, perhaps he had broad shoulders, perhaps he had a chin that was just chiseled out of marble, much like me. <laughs> just kidding. It's obvious, anybody listening to the podcast, I'm kind of short and not like that at all. <laughs> but he saw the person of Iliab and he thought to himself, this has to be the guy. You see, so often when we are looking at the world around us, we are looking at things with our physical eyes. We are judging things around us based off of our own perceptions of reality and not necessarily what the Lord sees in the Spirit. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with being able to look at something and, you know, for lack of a better word, judge it by its fruits. You know, for instance, if you have fruit in your own house and you have a banana and the banana is black, what does that probably tell you? It's overripened. But there are times within our lives where we can wrongly judge a book by its cover and in reality not understand the contents within. You know, many of you know that I have a Hispanic background, and for my family, it was my grandparents who came to the United States. And my grandmother in particular, from my father's side, she still struggles to speak English. And I remember growing up as a kid, even though her and I had a language barrier because I didn't understand Spanish well until later on in my life, I remember when I would go to different places and people would speak to my grandma as if she was dumb. And the only reason why that she, they thought she was dumb was because she just didn't understand English well. So when someone would speak to her in English, she, knowing only Spanish very well, wouldn't at times know what to do, what to say, or how to behave. So they immediately would just start talking louder and slower as if that helped, when in reality there was just a language barrier there. And I remember just feeling in my heart so mixed because deep down inside, I knew how awesome, how wonderful, how much of a godly woman my grandmother was, but yet the perception that people would have at times would be that this person is just an ignorant immigrant, and that was that. But we do that, right? We do that at times, maybe not in a situation like that, but where we make a quick judgment. 
But what's beautiful about this verse and what should in some ways encourage us about this verse is the fact that the Lord looks at the heart. Now, I say that this should encourage us, but in reality, I think this should in some ways also terrify us. I've mentioned this before, but it is a wonderful thing that God knows us, that God sees our heart. Why? Because it means that regardless of, what, regardless of the situation that we find ourselves in, whether we are young or whether we are old, whether we are in a situation where every single person doubts our behavior or our intent, the Lord knows all things. He sees you even when nobody else can. But the other side of this, of what's terrifying at times, or what's frightening at the very least, is that He sees you. (laughs) You see, it's a wonderful thing to know that the Lord sees you because He understands your pain. He understands your struggle. He understands your intent. But He also sees what? Your sin. He sees your dark thoughts. He sees those times where nobody is looking and nobody could judge you other than His eyes. And that does frighten me because the reality is is that there are points in my life where I know I am not living to the best of what God has called me to, right? I mean, we all have these moments and we're all probably even reflecting on some of them that might have even happened this morning of frightening thoughts of things that we know the Lord knows, which, if anything, should encourage us even more to confess to the Lord the things in our lives because He already knows them. Right? But we need to remember that ultimately it is a wonderful thing to be known by the Lord. And it really brings me to Uh, one of the points that I want to make today, and that is that the Lord looks at the heart, which is why we need to be so careful with our hearts, because the Lord looks at the heart. Um, A quote that I like from Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, judging others makes us blind, and we could put this on the screen for you, whereas love is illuminating. By judging others, we blind ourselves to our own evil and to the grace which others are just in, as entitled to us as, or sorry, to our own evil and to the grace which others are just as entitled to as we are. So what is Bonhoeffer trying to say there? Bonhoeffer is basically saying that by having a judgmental spirit, we're forgetting that the people that we are judging critically are just as entitled to the grace of God that has been given to us. Let that convict us. Because sometimes we really treat other people like the enemy. And we forget that those people around us 
are created in the image and in the likeness of God. Which is why I think in our heritage as Anabaptists, why it's so important, this concept of pacifism, because it's a recognition of God's image in the people around us and how we need to honor that image to the best of our abilities and not mar that image in any way, shape, or form. And I'm not just talking about through physical violence, but even the words that we speak into other people's lives. Because the fact is, is that we've all probably a time or two have said, said words that have left scars in people's lives. And chances are there are some scars in our own lives that have been left by the words that people have spoken to us. So what happens next in this story? Well, one by one, Jesse starts to bring out his sons. And one by one, son after son, God says, no, this is not the one. No. This is not the one. And slowly, each and every single one of the sons is rejected. Now, Jesse has eight kids. So this process takes a while. And I'm sure Samuel is starting to feel pretty odd to where finally the last son is brought forward and God again says, nope. So Samuel has to say, well, do you have any other children? To which Jesse says, well, yeah, I have one other son. He's out in the field tending to the sheep. Now, I think this is very, very, very important here. You see, it's easy in this moment to just read Scripture and say, oh, they forgot about one. But you see, we need to take the Bible seriously and we need to put ourselves into the context of Scripture. Now, if Jesse had eight children and these, one of these children was to be king, wouldn't you think that as, as the father that you would at least bring all of them with you? Especially if you're literally in front of the whole, ship, uh, the whole t- uh, elders of the town? But what do we know about this story in this situation? That Jesse left out who? His son, David. And the only question that I can ask myself is, why did he do that? And while I'm not fully sure, because Scripture doesn't necessarily make it clear, I think it's safe to assume that in Jesse's mind, David was never going to be a candidate. David, in his mind, was never going to be the one that was anointed king. Perhaps it would be his eldest son, Eliab. He had the look. He had the machismo to look and be the part of this king. So David wasn't even on his mind. But what does that in some ways tell you about David's father? Perhaps he thought so lowly of David, or at least so highly of his other sons, that he wasn't even a candidate. That he, in some ways, was totally passed over. Now, I know many of you in your weekly small group at the Douglas's house are reading the 23rd Psalm. And you're, if, if,
you attend that group, you start to learn really quickly how sheep, being called sheep, because oftentimes in Scripture we're referred to as sheep, is not really a compliment. Sheep are oftentimes dirty, dumb, and just silly animals. And it's funny that the Lord often portrays us as His sheep, because we're at times dirty, dumb, and a little silly ourselves. But as beautiful as it might be to see cute pictures of a little shepherd next to his sheep, the reality is is that in that time, that was considered a lowly profession. So once again, who does his father leave to this profession? David. And he doesn't even invite him in this king process. So it's almost safe to assume that there was some issues there in his family. The question I have for you is, have you ever felt like that too? Maybe it's not in your family, but it could be, where you feel like, for whatever reason, maybe it's at your workplace, maybe it is with your family, maybe it's even within a church context, that you have felt forgotten, that you have felt passed over, that when people are considered for a role or a responsibility, that you just feel like your name doesn't even come up. I want to encourage you and remind you that even though that may happen at times, never forget the Lord's love for you and that He sees you exactly where you are at. So eventually what would happen would be Jesse would invite this young man, this boy perhaps, to the group of people, and it was right then and there that the Lord says, this is the one. Because God was looking at the heart of David, where everybody else was looking at the outward appearance. The Lord knew what was in David's heart, and he knew that David, deep down in his heart, had a heart after God, that in fact, the only place in Scripture, the only credit that has ever been given to an individual who has a heart after God would be this man, this young man named David. And God knew that David would be the right kind of king for the people of Israel. You see, I believe that God knows every single one of you so deeply, and He knows what He has placed inside of you. And make it no mistake, make no mistake that the Lord wants to use those things that He has put inside of you for His glory. Because that's exactly what God would do through David, is He would use David for His glory. Church, I'm sure there are moments of your life when you look within the mirror and what you see there is a reflection that says you're not capable that you lack talent, that you're too old, or you're too young, or you're too short, or you're too tall, or you're too (laughs) good-looking. I'm just kidding. But I want to remind you that none of those things 
are the way that the Father sees you. That the Father created you and that He loves you and that He has put things inside of you for the building and betterment of the kingdom of God. You know, oftentimes I'm reminded, especially as a pastor, that our church, we need you. We need the things that the Lord has put inside of you. And it's safe to say that if you are a part of this fellowship, that the Lord has anointed you to do something within this church. Now, unfortunately, sometimes because of the way that we have structured churches in the last hundreds and hundreds of years, Sunday's kind of the pinnacle of what we experience oftentimes within the church, that we have a, a service, and if you have a musical gift, you get to come up here. If you have a preaching gift, you get to preach, yada, yada, yada. But church is so much more than just a sermon and a worship song. Don't get me wrong, those things are wonderful. It's the reason why I have a job. But God has skilled and anointed each and every single one of you to do something for the building of His kingdom. And the question that I have to ask is, is how will you use that in this place? I'm so thankful because this year I'm already starting to see that sprout up. I'm starting to see you guys do things like starting a Sunday school class, opening up your home for fellowship, starting a woman's group, the upcoming anniversary celebration that we have. So many of you are taking the time to invest and use your gifts here in so many ways. But just as we learned in the Sunday school class before service, there are so many different needs out in this world that could be used by God for His glory. The Father sees your heart, and He wants to use what He's placed inside of it for His glory. David would be anointed king, and as we will eventually learn, he will be the measure of all kings for the people of Israel, that till this day, we look at David with so much positivity, despite even some of the things that he failed in, and he failed perhaps greater than most. But that is still a beautiful message to take hold of. The fact that God sees us, He sees our heart, and He wants to use it. The application for this week, what I want you to do as a congregation is to take time to evaluate your life has there been a judgment that was made against you that weighs you down? Ask God to help you see yourself through His eyes and not the world's by engaging Him through His Word and prayer. Will you do that for me this week? Thank you. Well, let's pray.